This is Ari Koretsky and welcome to Jews You Should Know, introducing the broader community to interesting and inspiring Jewish men and women making a difference in our world. Some are already famous, some not yet so, but each is a Jew you should know. We are here with noted entrepreneur, uh, business ethicist, and committed Jew, Bob Diener. How are you today, Bob? All right, it's great to be on with you today. Wonderful, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, very, very excited to have a man of your, of your talents and accomplishments joining us. And I'd like to start from the beginning and uh, let us know a little bit about where you grew up and what your early background was like. Sure, well, I grew up in Miami Beach. I attended the Hebrew Academy through uh, 12th grade. And then I went on to the University of Florida. I graduated there with a bachelor's in economics. And then I went on to law school at Cornell. Uh, so you were, you were a Florida uh, kid through the end of college, it sounds like. And you finally escaped to the balmy uh, confines of Ithaca, New York, huh? Exactly. But I came back to Florida. <laughs> you came back Actually, to I went to California first. My first, uh, my first job was at a... At a we'll say a mega law firm was at Gibson Dunn and Crutcher in Los Angeles. Uh, It's one of the largest law firms in the country. I wanted to stay somewhere warm. So LA looked like a great place. Uh, Actually clerked out there for the summer and uh, really uh, just enjoyed the professionalism and the great people at the firm. So that was my first job. Uh, I was in Los Angeles at uh, Gibson Dunn and Crutcher for about two and a half to three years. Fabulous. Now going back to your early childhood, it sounds like you must've had a pretty rich uh, Jewish upbringing with with the extensive day school education and so forth. Was your family in Miami Beach proper, and and what was their um, what was their Jewish involvement like? Uh, sure. Well, we lived in a we lived in a town called Surfside, which is right next to Miami Beach. Yep. Great restaurants and, uh, there now, kosher restaurants. Uh, it's it's become a very a kosher borscht belt type <laughs> of place. But when I grew up in Surfside, even even though now it has many synagogues and many kosher restaurants, when I grew up it was very difficult to get a minion. We had um, a small shtibel here with a, a rabbi that moved down from New York with his wife, who affectionately we called the Rebbitson. She really ran the shul. And we would have a lot of difficulty even getting a minion when I grew up. So wow. she would go outside in the street and ask people if they were Jewish. And if they were Jewish, recruit them to make the, uh, sometimes the 10th man, sometime it was the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th man. So that, uh, that was the neighborhood I grew up in, but uh, uh, the Jewish education at Hebrew Academy was excellent. So there were, there were great teachers, and it was really just a tremendous foundation for everything else in my life. It's hard to imagine that, what, how you describe Surfside, you know, and that whole area in Bell Harbor and Aventura and all that. It's so Jewish today. It's hard to, it's hard to imagine standing on the street waiting for, for a minion. Although at least the weather is nice, so you, it's not that big a deal to stand outside. But was your Jewish identity a strong part of your personal life moving forward? I mean, in University of Florida, as perhaps as, as un-Jewish as Surfside might have been, I imagine Gainesville was quite a bit more challenging from a Jewish identity perspective. Well, yes and no. I, I, I was in a Jewish fraternity, A.E. Pi, uh, so I was really uh, surrounded by a Jewish fraternity brothers, and I was very active with Hillel. And then when I went on to law school at Cornell, I lived in, in Young Israel for a year and uh, was also very involved there with Hillel and, and other Jew, Jewish student organizations. And, it, and my background was very helpful 
uh, especially when I uh, started off in law school and started out in my career in business. Because uh, I, wor I worked at a law, I, I worked at Gibson Dunn and Crutcher for about two and a half years. I had a side business uh, in travel. I actually started it in my second year of law school and recruited a lot of my law school classmates to join me. And that was a side business. It went very well. I, I used to work on it at nights and on, on, uh, uh, on Sundays. And um, after two and a half years, I decided it was going so well that I took, I took a leave of absence to the law firm and pursued the business uh, uh, as my business and, and travel, and it did really well. And uh, I really had no, no background in, in business. I didn't go to business school. I didn't work at a business. I just worked at a law firm, and it was mainly, uh, it, it was mainly corporate work and litigation work. So I had no real background in business. My only kind of base of knowledge for starting my business and running my business was what I learned in Jewish day school. And that was really my backbone for success in the business world. And in fact, I wrote a book on it a couple years ago uh, called The Biblical Guide to Business Success. Uh, because one day, it was sitting around at the Shabbos table. We have a tradition in my family that we go around and everyone at the table, all our family invited guests, we ask them to tell their good news of the week and ask any questions. So we run around the room, and then when we got to my mother, she looks at me and she says, uh, she says, you just told your good news of the week, how your new company, which now is getaroom.com, this was several years ago, how you reached a milestone and, and, you've, and it's now profitable. And she says, well, how did you know what to do? Right? You started, your last business was Hotel Reservations Network and Hotels.com. Now you've got this business, getaroom.com. She says, how did you know what to do? You didn't work in a business. You didn't work for somebody else in the business world. You didn't go to business school. So how did you know what to do? So I said, mom. It sounds like I, your mom needs a podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, said, I, said, I said, mom, it's all, it's all because of you. And dad she says, what do you mean? I said, well, you sent me to Jewish day school. And you know, when I think about it, that's really all I knew. I knew Jewish law. I knew how to study Talmud. Um, I knew the Bible. But that, that was really my foundation. So everything that came up in the business world, I really looked back to my roots in Jewish day school for answers. So for example, um, how do you handle employees? You know, employees, of course, they always want more. It, it's difficult. Um, how do you treat them? Uh, how do you treat your employees? Uh, how do you handle customer service? In the travel industry, customer service is probably the biggest issue that's out there. And I'm sure and, and anyone that's listening to this has had an incident with an airline, an incident <laughs> with a company with a hotel, right? So. Uh, how do you handle the customer? And so in a lot of companies, they go to big retreats, they hire experts, they spend a fortune to try to teach their employees how to handle customer service in the right way. We didn't do any of that. We had no big consulting firms. We had no thick manuals. And I told my employees at every company I've been at is that there's a very simple standard. It's put yourself in the shoes of the customer. Treat them fairly the way you would want to be treated if you were in that situation. That's how we handle customers, and that's how we handle customer service still today, many years later. And that's how we did it when I started off in business, because that's what I knew. That's what I learned in Jewish day school. And how do you treat your employees? Well, I learned a very a fundamental lesson on Jewish day school, and that's that you never should delay the payment of your wages to your employees. And that's really Jewish obligations to pay your workers on time, because most people are working paycheck to paycheck. And if you're not paying them on time, they may not have food to put on the table for themselves and their families. So even during the worst times, during SARS, during 9-11, when a lot of companies were delaying payments to their employees, 
we always paid our employees on time and we always make sure that we treated our employees fairly. So those are just a couple of examples of, of what I learned in Jewish day school that are part of what made me successful in the business world. Beautiful. I am curious, just going back to that time in law school, you said you launched this company without any business background. When you initially went into law school, I imagine you anticipated that you would be a corporate lawyer for your career. Is, is that correct? And, and if so, what changed? And, and was it a flash of, of inspiration that sort of catalyzed you to start a business instead? Or in addition? Well, the dream of a lot of lawyers is, is, is to do what their clients do. <laughs> so as I always had a passion for the business world. I had a passion for travel. And you know, I envisioned myself being a lawyer, continue with legal practice, but I really loved what I was doing in the business world. Um, it was going well. And so I decided to pursue it. And I still now do our company's legal work. So cool. That's cool. the legal background has been you know, a big factor in the success of my companies. And it really gives you a tremendous edge in the business world. But part of my success in law school was because a lot of the methods of learning especially the Socratic method, which was very big in my time, was the exact same type of learning that I learned in Jewish day school. When you take a tractate of the Talmud and you tear it apart and you analyze it and you really try to assess and analyze the differences between the different schools of thought. Well, that's the same thing in a case. You have different schools of thought and you have to tear it apart related to the prior cases and you come up with an argument uh, for your position. But that's exactly what I did in Jewish day school. And that's what helped me succeed in law school and eventually succeed in law practice and in the business world. How did you think of the initial idea for your first business? Were you kind of looking to start a business and this is what you found? Or did you have a particular idea and you were sort of galvanized or called to start that particular business? Well, my first business, it was a great opportunity because when I was in law school, traveling around the country for interviews, United Airlines started a program giving out coupons for 50% off your next flight. And people were just throwing them in the garbage. So I went and I picked a bunch up and I visited some, some friends that were in the travel business in New York. I said, are these valuable? They said, they're extremely valuable because it's 50% off a ticket. So I recruited my classmates that were traveling to either pick these up in the garbage or buy them from people coming off of planes. And then we would, I would resell them to travel agencies and, and travel agencies and to travelers that could use them. We'd buy it for a few dollars and we'd mark it up and make a profit on it. Uh, but the idea is that really everyone did well. So, you know, those that received the coupon uh, and, and got something out of it, uh, you know, we earned our, our markup. Uh, the agencies earned a commission and the eventual traveler um, had a discount on his tickets. So everybody was happy. It was a nice, it, it was a nice business. And then we expanded that to uh, several different airlines where we started buying bulk seats from the airlines. So these are airlines that are no longer in business, such as uh, Pan Am, World Airways, Eastern, and others, where they wanted to pre-sell seats. And so we would buy blocks and then resell them at a profit. Um, so that was a nice business. And um, I sold that business in 1990, uh, in late 1990, and then took some time off. And during that time, my partner and I, we went out to Belize and I don't know if you ever saw the movie Paper Chase, but we were in a room scrumbling papers trying to come up with our next business. And we came was up. It a, was it a smoke-filled room? <laughs> no, there was no smoke. It was just a, it was just a lot of papers and in, in between scuba diving trips. And we came up with this new idea of doing something similar to what we did on the airline business, but doing it in the hotel business. Now, hotel business, 
was actually a much better business because there weren't that many airlines. Uh, many of them were not financially solid. Whereas hotels, it was a very competitive business. And the average occupancy at hotels at the time, this goes back to late 1990, was only about 60%. And hotels at the time needed about 70% to break even. So what we did was we negotiated with hotels for blocks of rooms, which we sold in our network. So it was kind of separate from their sales at a lower rate. And the travelers had a great bargain. And they stayed at the hotels where they received a better price. So that was before the internet. That was in 1991. We actually started the business. We called it Hotel Reservations Network. Uh, in 1995, a friend of mine knocked on the door and says, Bob, I had the best thing since sliced bread. I said, what is it? He says, it's the internet. <laughs> Almost nobody knew what the internet was. He says, I'm doing this with gaming. And he says, uh, I can do it for hotels. And so we made a deal. And at the time, it was not interactive. So you would send a request out. You would send an email out. It would take 15 to 20 minutes of email to go. A day or two later, you would receive a response. But even with that, and they, um, he built the first site for us. We made a deal where he would own the site. We'd pay him a 10% commission. And even with that, it was 5 to 6% of our business, which was incredible given how slow it was. And then I went to him after a little while. I said his name was Dave Ray. I said, Dave, uh, we want to buy this from you. And he said, uh, he said, sure. He says, I'm focused on the gaming business. And so we made a deal. And I bought the site. The first site was called hoteldiscount.com. Actually launched in 1996. And it grew uh, uh, and grew. And in October of, um, of 97 was the industrial revolution uh, in my business because the internet became interactive. And so at the time, you could send something out and get an instant response. Well, that was an incredible revolution because that changed the whole paradigm uh, of the internet. But still at the time, very few people were online. Uh, Really, no hotels were online. And so what we did was we went to really every company in the travel space and said, we will build you a hotel program. And we went to really every hotel that was out there, city by city. You go to the major chains, like the corporate chains, or you went to the individual branches? We did both. We did both. We said, we're going to bring you business that's totally new. They said, what is it? We said, it's the internet. Well, almost nobody knew what the internet was. And so it sounded like a great thing because it was something new. And that's really how we started the business. Um, and, uh, at the time when we launched this, there was, uh, really the only other easy saver was just starting out on a, on a test program. Uh, and so our business grew um, and it blossomed. And of course, with the internet uh, turning interactive, that was great growth for us. And in, in 1999, we ended up, uh, selling a big portion of the company. Uh, we ended up taking it public a year later and it was only a, um, a couple years after that, that we went and we bought the name hotels.com. And hotel.com. It was actually an affiliate of ours. And we decided to market directly to consumers. And it really, it just took off and went through the roof. And hotels.com, within a period of nine months from acquiring the name, we did an awareness study. Almost no one heard of the name at the beginning. And nine months later, it was 70 to 80% American household awareness of hotels.com. It was one of the fastest branding campaigns in history. That's incredible. It's funny. On my way in here, I knew I was going to be talking to you today. And literally, I, I kid you not, some commercial popped up on something that I, some, you know, video or something I saw. And it was a hotels.com commercial just today. So it is quite ubiquitous in the, the advertising. Uh, you said that you sold the business, but you were still involved at that point. Like what was the, what was your relationship in the late nineties at that point when you were, you know, acquiring the name, but also going public and selling off some of it? Right. So actually the arrangement was, is that we, 
um, sold the company to USA Networks, which is now uh, um, IAC. And we retained, we retained an interest uh, in the company. And then when uh, they wanted to take it public, we made a deal where we took back a substantial portion of the company uh, in return for staying on with the company and taking it public. And so we had a parent company that had a majority. We had a significant interest and the public owned a certain percentage. And then in uh, 2003, we ended up selling the bounty. It also purchased a majority interest in Expedia, which is at the time owned by Microsoft. We merged all the companies. I left a few months later after we transitioned management. Um, I had a five-year non-compete and really spent that time focused on uh, various charities that I'm involved in. Uh, until five years later, our non-compete was over. We saw an opportunity to start something new. It was a different, uh, it was in the same field, but a, uh, a very different business. And that's getaroom.com, which is the business I have right now. But all, you know, all the way along, I, I always believed in balance. And it was from, I'm an old Talmud I remember learning, uh, it's, it's Shabbat 31a. And it was, it's a discussion among rabbis about what happens at the end of your day. Because I always used to think, you know, this is great. I'm moving ahead. My company's doing well. I'm putting dollars in the bank. I've got a nice car, got a nice apartment, but there was something missing. And so I was searching and searching and searching for, for that missing thing. And then I found it. And I found it in this Talmud. I went back to my Jewish day school learning, found this Talmud, pulled it up, read it a few times and said, you know what? This is it. Balance. This was a rabbinical discussion about what happens at the end of your days. You go to the heavenly court and they ask you a few questions. And based on how you answer these questions determines what kind of success did you have in life? So the first question asked is, were you honest in your business dealings? That's number one. Of all the questions to ask, of all the things you did in your life, were you honest in your business dealings? Well, that told me that it's so important to be upfront and ethical in your business dealings that that's something I need to think about all the time in the business world. Because the temptation, especially in the business world, to make a few more dollars, to get ahead faster, is so strong that if you can overcome that temptation, that's a great measure of your success as a person. So that's the first, first question asked. This, the next question asked is, did you spend time getting ready the next generation? Door to door, preparing the next generation, you know, having a family. And so I thought about that, and now I have five kids. Uh, <laughs> I thank God, and I study with them all the time. And I always remember, keep, keep that balance. Spend time either, either preparing yourself to have a family, helping the next generation, or spending time with your kids or grandkids. The next question asked is, do you set aside time for study? To grow yourself as a person. And when I thought about that, I made a decision that once a week, I was going to take an hour. And I used to do this every Wednesday for an hour from 10 to 11. I used to have someone come in to study with, and I'd shut the door. And everyone in the company knew Bob was not available during this time period. And it was a great thing for me. A lot of people say, oh, how can you take an hour out of the busiest time of the day? It was the greatest thing because I could set aside everything I was doing in the business world, focus on learning, focus on growing myself. And every time I look forward to that, I look forward to that hour a week. And now I study almost every day with my kids. Beautiful. All the way along in my career, I would think about that. And then the next question asked is, at the end of your days, did you leave this world in a better 
place than when you got here. And so what are you doing to make a difference? So I, I think of that Talmud all the time. And I thought about this since I you know, kind of dug that up earlier in my business career when I was really looking for meaning. And that has been kind of my real balance and real meaning. And what I still follow to this day, I always think about that. Uh, and when questions come up, I mean, I've dealt with opportunities, for example, I had a major, a major company we're about to acquire, and I wasn't happy with, with the way they handled their business. I didn't think they handled it in an ethical way. It may have been legal, but not ethical. I wasn't comfortable with it. I decided we're not going to pursue it because I wasn't comfortable with the way they did business. And it was, a, it was uh, a lot of people were upset about it. How can you not do this? It's accretive to earnings. And I said, you know what? I'm not comfortable with it. And if I'm not comfortable with it, I can't run a company that has the subsidiary. Well, I'm not comfortable with the way they do business. And I think about that every day when I do business. Uh, are you operating above board? You know, in travel, it's about disclosure. Are you disclosing things that you should be disclosing? You know, the traditional, um, the classic story is you walk into the grocery store to buy strawberries. And they all look great. They're all juicy, plump on the outside. You get home, you open them up, and in the middle, they're all rotten. Well, that's, that's a classic case of disclosure. Are you hiding something? And I learned that in Leviticus. In Leviticus 19, you learn about, uh, do you put a stumbling, don't put a stumbling block before the blind. Don't hide something significant that should be disclosed. And so I think about that. And uh, you know, I think about my business career and being upfront with people. People appreciate that. And people like to patronize businesses that are fair to them. So when you do things the biblical way, when you do things the way uh, based on the standards that I learned in Jewish day school, you succeed because people appreciate that. People appreciate the honesty. People appreciate the integrity. And, and people tend to, to patronize and be loyal to businesses that treat them fairly and that are also good to the community. And I think about tikkun olam, doing things that uh, – that make the world a better place. For example, we do employee matching. So if employees will donate a certain amount to certain charity or certain programs, we will match them. We used to have a community day where every employee was required to spend a day helping the community. Whatever their particular interest is, that's fine. And a lot of people would say, are you crazy? Look at the loss of productivity, taking an entire workforce. And we had, I mean, at one point, thousands and thousands of employees and you're going to let um, give every employee off a free day? And my response to him was very simple. The employees come back so much more empowered. They feel so good about themselves that they spent the day helping the community, that they are so much more productive employees, that there's nothing more I could have done to make it more productive than have them spend a day being charitable in the community. So, you know, when I think about these kind of pillars that I learned from this Talmud in Jewish day school, I believe that's a very big part of my success in the business world. Awesome. What is your new business, getaroom.com? So we have a couple different lines of our business, but we provide um, technology and back-end product for most other major travel sites. Now, we also have what we call a VIP program. And the way the VIP program works is you can't join, you have to be invited to join, or you have to be part of a, a company that participates with us. And the way it works is when you have credentials to log in, you can log into access of the website, and hotels provide, um, participating hotels will provide better rates than what you can find on your own. We started this off in the call center. 
because when we started Get A Room about, it's actually nine years now, we started yeah. nine years ago, nobody was interested in the call center. Almost every travel company was outsourcing their call centers overseas. They were getting rid of call centers. People were now accustomed. I used to teach people go online to get a better deal. But now what was happening is you would go online many places and you always find the same price. So we came right. up with a concept. Call us. Do all your research online. We call it the unpublished rate. Call us. And we'll give you a better rate because we're not publishing it. We call it the unpublished rate. And we had thousands of hotels participate in this program. And hotels love it because they always want to push more product, but they don't want to be in a competitive situation where they just lower the price. So they're okay putting it in a channel that's not competitive with their mainstream product. So that's what we created as, as, as a call center program, which we still have and it's very successful. But then we figured out a way to expand it to membership programs. We call these closed user groups. And so if you're a member of this, if you participate in one of these organizations, and a lot of, a lot of uh, companies have these programs for their employees, where employees will log in to access better rates and they access our program. You can log in and receive better hotel rates at thousands of hotels. Is that a per, for personal benefit or like when they're traveling for their company? It's really for personal benefit. It's really a leisure type of program. So that's a big part of our business, of the call center business. And then we do back-end fulfillment for many major travel companies where we provide them the hotel program. So we contract with the hotel. Uh, we provide the technology. And so a lot of sites you'll go to and they'll sell hotels and travel. We'll be doing the fulfillment on the back-end for them. So that's a big part of our business at, at getaroom.com. Interesting. So it's really a, a tech provider in that respect. Yes, we're very much, we, we call ourselves a travel marketing company, but we're, we're very much also a technology company. What do you think about this new company or not so new anymore, but you know, you described you had this five-year non-compete and you were invested in the community during that time, pretty much, I guess, exclusively. What made you want to jump back in the pool, so to speak, where you just endlessly restless to kind of get back out there and, and work? I mean, what, what about it was, was calling you back? Well, really my main motivation, uh, there were really two motivations. Number one, my kids were still young when I sold the balance of hotels.com. Um, and I wanted the kids really to see what it's like to be productive and what it's like to run a business and how to grow it and what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Um, so that was a big part of my reasoning to get to jump back into the business world. And I used to engage the kids in doing testing. You know, for example, I would tell them, go find as many friends as you can. Here's a mock credit card. Go book reservations. Whoever books the most within an hour will receive an iPad or, you know, something like that. Uh, so they understood, okay, we're testing loads on the site. And in this way, the, my children were very interested in the site. They saw how I grew a company really from scratch. Uh, so that was one motivation. But really, probably my main motivation was that I wanted to expand our family foundation. So right now we, we give, my partner and I give all of our uh, profits from getaroom.com to our uh, family foundations, wow. uh, which provides us a pool to give to the charities that we believe in and that we want to help. Well, I'm sure curious, what are some of the charities that you're involved with? Are they, the, are they the same ones that you were involved with during that five-year period? Have they grown? Like, what are you passionate about in the philanthropic sense? Right. Well, they've grown and they're changed. Uh, I, I'm very involved with Israel Advocacy. Uh, for example, the Hasbro Fellowships, uh, sure. got involved with them very early on. H.com was another project that uh, I got very involved in and worked with them to expand the program. I'm very involved in APAC. I'm on the National Board of APAC. So um, I see how successful uh, their work is and how much of an impact 
they can really make on the future of, of, of the state of Israel, the U.S.-Israel relations. I'm very involved in um, local day schools, um, and other uh, kosher food bank, and many other programs uh, locally. So, you know, we're constantly looking for you know, programs that we believe in and that we believe are making a difference and that are efficient and really doing it the right way. Have, I'm curious, have any of your kids um, actually gone into business with you or just generally into the entrepreneurial field? I imagine now that they've, you know, some of them at least must be older. Right. All my, all my kids are still in school. They have um, you know, internships in the summer. And, <laughs> and, and the three, of, uh, three of my children have actually uh, interned at our company. But uh, two of them are in business school and are uh, pursuing careers in business. I have a, you know, a freshman now that's uh, pursuing pre-med, and then I have two that, are still in, uh, two that are still in grade school. Okay. So you'll, you'll have some, maybe somebody join, either joining the family business or uh, maybe expanding it <laughs> to some new... Uh... Right. Well, I tell my kids that they need to go out in the world and make it for themselves first because they need to see what it's like but to be out there starting out and they need to learn, they need to see other perspectives and they need to learn from others. Um, and so my two older kids, for example, each of them um, has worked in three different companies over their summers in school. So they've gotten some good perspectives and they'll go out in the business world when they graduate at least for a couple of years and work, work at another company and see what it's like and really learn, learn the ropes, learn what it's like to start out in a business. And uh, you know, if they come to work with me at some point, They'll come in with, uh, with the knowledge. They'll come in you know, having, uh, you know, having succeeded themselves in the business world, and they'll come in with skills. Have you had any particular mentors in the business world, anyone that you've really um, looked up to, whether because of their business acumen or because of their sort of ethical performance, which, which is something that you've so beautifully stressed uh, in your work and, of course, in your book? Well, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. So I actually dedicated the, uh, my book to, to my grandfather and also to my kids. Uh, he was a great role model. He was actually in the hotel business, was one of his businesses. He was in the real estate business as well as others. So I was young, but I saw what he did and always admire him for what he did. And he was uh, extremely charitable. He was, he was very involved with, with uh, charities, Jewish day schools. He was very involved with Jewish learning uh, on the radio at the time. And, and I saw how he balanced those. So that was, that was a great role model for me, too. And, and, and I have a partner, I have a partner that I've actually been with now for over 30 years. He was wow, a classmate of mine in law school. That's unusual. And, and it, it's very unusual. And we talk 10 times a day. Uh, we trust each other completely. We don't have any written agreement. It's just been a handshake. And we, we look to each other for guidance. I look over his back. He looks over my back. We criticize and compliment each other. But it's great to have that relationship because when you're running a company, it gets very lonely in that position. And it's great to have. We've always run it as a CEO and president, so we've uh, we've taken on different responsibilities. But it's been a great relationship to have that the give and take back and forth, and to have that relationship. And we all, we almost always come up with the same conclusion. But we have very healthy discussions, and and so it's great to have a partner like mine, Dave Lipman, uh, again for over thirty years. I assume he's also a Jewish individual. Yes, he is. Yes. And Ex- extremely, extremely Zionistic. Extremely Zionistic. How have the two of you managed to maintain that kind of a, a relationship for so long? I mean, companies, you know, founders and, and partners in these ventures, I guess whether it's because of ego or just fatigue with, with another person, it seems to be such a rare commodity to have such a long standing 
partnership of that of that nature. How have you guys managed to to effectuate that? Yeah, I know it's a real blessing, and yeah, I never question his commitment. I know he all, always gives it his all. I always give it my all. I, I know he's selfless in his approach. You know, I'm the same. So you know, we trust each other totally. We trust each other's judgment. You know, you look at the relationship, for example, with, with it's a little bit different, but you take uh, you take uh, you know Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. You know, that that's a another very long term uh, you know very long term partnership, and they bounce ideas off each other all the time, and that's they really look to each other for guidance. So Dave and I have a very similar relationship. I'm much more focused on a finance, marketing, sales. Dave's much more focused on the a technology and operation side. But we complement each other a lot and we highly value each other's opinion on whatever it is, whether it's a personal matter, whether it's a community matter, whether it's a business matter. You know, it's, re- it's really all the same. People ask me, how do you, you know, when I was writing this book and, and, and I was soliciting some feedback on the various ideas, people would say, Bob, how, how, do, how does the Bible really relate to the business world? It's separate. The Bible has to do with your personal life, not with your business life. And my response to them, it's one and the same. Right? It's all about how you apply the biblical principles to any aspect of your life. It doesn't matter if it's personal, if it's business. It's all how you, how you treat other people. It's all how you relate to people. It it's, doesn't matter whether it's in a business setting or not in a business setting. People say, well, there's really nothing specific in the Bible about business. And I say, that's not true. And you know, I mentioned it before, Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 is my guide to succeeding in business. But what does it tell you? It tells you how to handle customer service. Treat others like you want to be treated. It tells you how to handle very difficult problems of, of disclosure. It tells you don't put a stumbling block before the blind. Uh, it tells you how to, um, how to treat employees. It gives you a guy. It gives you a guideline, really, for so many parts of your business. That if you follow this, and a lot of the dilemmas that people have in business are: how should I handle this contract? What kind of company should I deal with? Should I do this deal or not do this deal? Well, for me, it's very clear because I have a moral compass, which is the Torah, the Bible. And if you follow that then a lot of dilemmas that people have in the business world, a lot of difficult decisions that people go through, become very clear. Do you put this in the contract or don't put this in the contract? Do you disclose this or don't disclose this? Do you treat the employee fairly or don't treat them fairly and take advantage of them because you have an opportunity to do it? Well, the answer is no. You treat them fairly because that's the right thing to do. When you have that guidebook in front of you, it helps you make those decisions that ultimately may be difficult at the time, but if you follow the biblical road to success, it will make you ultimately successful. And not only that, you'll feel better about yourself because you want to sleep good at night. You know, I'll give you an example, 9-11. So 9-11 was obviously one of the biggest tragedies we've ever had in the United States. And we were at the time, we were the largest third-party booker of hotel rooms in New York City. And so we were approached by the city of New York to handle uh, bookings, all the hotel bookings, for the families of the victims of 9-11. And that was a very big project. And of course, they wanted us to do it on a pro bono basis. And what it meant was that we were going to dedicate a lot of our call center resources to housing the victims of 9-11. And we were ideally suited to do it because we knew almost all the inventory in New York City. And so we decided to do it. We decided basically to take a large loss. 
And when I had my quarterly conference call with investors, I told them flat out, I said, this, this, was, uh, this was one of the biggest crises, uh, crises in history. We made a decision that we need to give back. Uh, we were in an ideal position to help, uh, to help the city of New York, to help uh, the families overcome this tragedy, to bring them into the city, to house them, uh, to work with them. And we are going to devote a lot of our resources over the next several weeks to doing this. It is going to mean we are going to take a big loss. In fact, our numbers are negative for a period of time. I said, we are going to take a substantial loss this quarter. The numbers are going to be terrible. I said, but the good news is that long term, we expect great success because we do expect the rebound. We've seen it in the past. And we are sure that the city and others are going to be appreciative of the help that we've done and patronize and be loyal to our business. And that's exactly what happened. And investors totally overlooked the quarter. They understood. People looked to the future. And that's really, uh, you know, people look at valuations, how much a company is valued. They look to what are the earnings going to be in the future? You know, what happens right now in this quarter isn't so important. And that's, the, that's one example of how we approach business. Do you look at it short term? Okay, I'm going to take advantage of the situation because I can make a few more bucks or I can do that. Or do you look at it long term? Well, the biblical way is to look at it long term. Do the right thing. And the long term, if you have a business that operates the right way, people will patronize the business. People will be loyal to the business because they know you treat them fairly and they know you operate the right way and people appreciate that. And those are the type of companies they want to do business with. If, for example, let's say you go to a shop, you buy something, get home, you're all upset, you're not happy with it, you take it back, they say, sorry, we can't help you, right? You're never gonna go there again. You're gonna tell everybody you know about it. Nobody that you've talked to is gonna to go to that store. But let's say you have a store that's much more liberal. You walk in and they say, take Walmart, for example. It's so easy to return something. Customer service is great. Why do you think they're so successful? Prices are excellent and customer service is great. People appreciate that. Where do you learn that from? It all comes from the Bible. It gave us a standard. It's great to go to business school. It's great to have a business mentor. But if you have the Bible as your guide, you can succeed in whatever you do in life. That's wonderful. Just sort of in bringing things to a close, um, and, and perhaps you've already really answered this, but you know, today, entrepreneurship is very fashionable, specifically within the Jewish community. You know, Israel is called Startup Nation, but I see it among you know, plenty of American Jews. Entrepreneurship is hot. That's what people want to do, uh, whether it's because they want to have more control over their own destiny or want to innovate or any number of reasons. But that, that is the current state of affairs. So what advice do you have for young, budding entrepreneurs, people just starting out maybe in college or just out of college, or maybe even those who are in another career and would like to you know, transition to, to owning their own business. How do you advise uh, such individuals? Well, I would say, number one, you need to do your due diligence. And you know, I learned that from the way we study Talmud. Right? You just don't accept something. In Judaism, we just don't accept something. We ask questions. It's not about the answer, it's about the questions. It's about how much homework do you do? Well, Judaism teaches us to do your homework. Be thorough, be diligent tear it apart, ask questions. I'm amazed how many people come to me and they tell me they have an amazing business plan. It's going to make a fortune. And I ask them one fundamental question, right, which is how are you going to bring traffic in? And all of a sudden they turn red. So a lot of people don't do their homework. So if you do your homework and be thorough, you are a big step ahead. Number two, I tell people, start small. Don't try to conquer everything in one day. You need to do it piece by piece. You need to be methodical. You can't learn the whole Talmud in one day. It takes a long time. 
takes people, uh, you know, they have these great seums and ceremonies for completing the entire Talmud. It takes a long time to do it. You can't do it in a week. You have to build yourself over time. It's the same in the business. You have to build your business career over time. It takes time. Start small, test it, be methodical, see if it works. If it works, expand the area that's working. Next, find the right employees. One of the biggest issues I see with people is they put employees in the wrong places. And that's not fair to them. That's not fair to you. And so when I have an employee and I need to move them out of a position, I don't really feel bad about it because I know I'm doing them a favor because they're in the wrong position. That's the way I explain it to them. At the same time, if I have an employee that needs to be moved up or grow in their position, I tell them it's time for you to grow and move up to the next level. So find the right people. Finding the right people is key because end of the day, businesses are all about the people. So find the right people. And, and next is have a real value. And, and where do I learn this? From Passover, the four questions. What makes this night different than all other nights? So that's the same way I put it to entrepreneurs. What makes your business different than all the other businesses? <laughs> right? What's your value proposition? If you can't articulate that to me in a few words, there's a problem. And be honest and follow the biblical road to success. Treat your customers right. Have a very high level of customer service. Be diligent. Do your due diligence. Disclose. Be honest and upfront. And build your integrity as a business long term because that's, that's what people look for. People want to do business with those that they like and that they're comfortable with and that they know are good citizens. Beautiful words with which to wrap up. And just in closing, Bob, any exciting future plans that are on the horizon? Any, uh, any new companies coming out? Are you, do you see yourself sticking with this particular company for the rest of your career? Or are you itching <laughs> to do something different? Well, I'm very focused. And, that, and, that, and that's part of my message to entrepreneurs is that you want to be focused. You can't be scattered. You really need to hone in. You need to hone in on, what, on what's working and what's doing well. Focus on it and do a really good job at what you do. You know, my current business, I look at it from a long-term perspective. I'm building a great business you know, that will last. And, and that's the way I approach it. Great employees with great infrastructure, bringing in great customers, treating those customers right so they do more business with us. So that's really my focus. And that's, uh, that's what I'm focused on. But at the same time, balancing, balancing my family, balancing the community, and constantly thinking of ways that I can make the world a better place than when I got here. And that's what I think about really every day. What good deed or what else can I do to balance my work in the business world, to do an act of kindness or do a good deed or do something that's going to make the world a better place than when I got here. What a fabulous way to end. Thank you so much, Bob Diener, entrepreneur, author, and really most importantly, at least from my perspective, a uh, profound embodiment of Kiddush Hashem, of sanctification of God's name, someone who's exemplifying the principles of character and family and charity amidst all the success in business. So thank you so much for joining us, Bob Dieter. It's great to be on with you. This has been Ari Koretsky on Jews You Should Know. Please visit us at JewsYouShouldKnow.com and subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you consume podcasts. Find us on social media at JewsYouShouldKnow. If you'd like to become a supporter of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. And you can do so by visiting Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash JewsYouShouldKnow. Finally, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and introduce many more people to Jews you should know.